Okay, so, so let's get started. Uh, very pleased to introduce Thomas Satterley. Uh, Thomas was just talking about whether he can rewrite his paper to deliver it with a piano accompaniment, but I think he's decided he needed, yeah, needed a bit more preparation yeah. to do this. So we're, we're going to have uh, the flow of time and experience without musical accompaniment. Uh, and Thomas will be known to many of you for his writings in metaphysics and um, on time. We're delighted to have him. So, Thomas, over to you. Thank you. Thank you very much for the introduction. Thank you very much for the kind invitation. I will speak about the flow of time and experience. And my starting point is the notion of change. Something changes when it has different incompatible properties at different times. And it seems that we have immediate experiences as of change. I brought an example, a leaf. As the leaf drops to the floor, the people in the room see that it moves. Let's pick out two locations from the leaf's path. Let's say location L1, location L2. So it seems that we do not merely see that the leaf is in L1, and we don't merely see that the leaf is in L2, inferring that it moved from L1 to L2. Now we seem to see that it moves from L1 to L2. Moreover, as we see that the leaf moves, our experience of this episode of change seems to be accompanied by a phenomenal sense that this change is dynamic, that it is fleeting, as it's often put. In other words, we seem to have the sense that time flows. What philosophers try to pick out with this label, the sense of flow, um, is widely agreed to be one of the most elusive aspects of temporal experience, if not of experience full stop. And today I would like to present a new account of the nature of the sense of flow. I'd like to do this in four parts, part one and part two, or four stages, stage one and stage two, set the stage. Um, for the for the discussion, and um, the first stage, the first step, concerns the exponentum. So, what are we talking about when we're talking about the sense of flow? I would like to propose to think of the sense of flow as the phenomenal sense that, as the leaf changes, our experience of that change seems to accompany seems to be accompanied by a process of replacement. So I'm introducing this notion of replacement. The sense of replacement. And here's what I mean by that. So when we visually perceive that the leaf moves, my example will be a visual perception of the leaf. It seems that one state of the leaf is replaced by another one, and that other state is replaced by another one, and so on. So, that, so to stick with the example that the leaf's L1 state is replaced by the leaf's L2 state. 
this is my starting point, the sense that in this change, in this episode of change, this replacement happening. And uh, I would like to understand what this sense of replacement consists in. Let me say right away that um, in the entire talk, I will focus on this example visual experience as of the leaf's motion. But um, what I will say about this example is meant to generalize to other sense modalities and other sexual experiences, of course, other objects. But let's stick, for simplicity, let's stick to the leaf. Um, getting a little clearer, this is not yet the account I want to propose, but further step in the phenomenological analysis of the sense of flow, sense of replacement. And we can bring in the notion of the present, as is quite common in traditional discussions of the flow of time, or passage of time, the notion of the present. And put the sense of replacement the following way. It seems that in our visual experience of the motion of the leaf, for the short period of time, There is the sense that the leaf changes with respect to which leaf state is in the present. It seems that the present first contains the leaf's L1 state as the unique leaf state. And then the present does not contain that leaf state anymore, but contains the leaf's L2 state as the only leaf. So the sense of replacement um, can be understood, I suggest, um, as a kind of change with respect to which of these locational leaf states is in the present. It's a change with respect to being present or being in the present. It's also supposed to be an intuitive characterization, so I don't mean anything metaphysically heavy by the present. One, one more assumption I want to make right away about the sense of replacement as a sense that the episode of change undergoes a change with respect to um, being in the present is that episodes of change that can be experienced immediately have a certain temporal limit. Is what I call a subjective, subjective temporal horizon. This is usually understood as um, a period of about a second within which we as subjects can immediately experience an episode of change. Right? So when, when the supposed the motion of the leaf takes longer to the ground, takes longer than a second, takes 15 seconds, then it's understood that we cannot have an immediate experience of this whole motion over 15 seconds. But we can have immediate experiences of intervals of about a second, and change can happen within such an interval. And then there can be change of these second-long intervals, making up what can be called a stream of consciousness tracking the leaf through this path. I will focus, because that's hard enough, on our experience within what I 
call the subjective temporal horizon. Note that the subjective temporal horizon is, in the literature, often called the specious present. But I will not call it that because I don't want the notion of the present to become ambiguous because I will use the notion of the present in a different way. So I will only speak of subjective temporal horizon. Okay, so that was my first step. A quick phenomenological analysis of the sense of flow is the sense of replacement meaning the sense that there's change with respect to the present. The second step, still part of the stage setting, is to specify the type of account I would like to give. Not yet the account, but the type of account, um, which gives the account, I will develop a bit of context because there are, of course, different types of account one could give. So um, I will specify the type of account I want to give of the sense of replacement um, in three theses. And each of these uh, theses is, I think, um, prima facie quite plausible. So I consider them as default theses in the sense that we should try to work with them uh, until we have reason to reject one or more of them. The first thesis, T1, this is the only text I will have on slides is that our perceptual experiences as of qualitative change are accompanied by a phenomenal sense of replacement. That seems quite trivial given what I've said, but um, this is already controversial. The way I introduced the sense of flow, the sense of replacement, was by saying it seems to us that we have this phenomenal sense that accompanies our experiences as of change. This is something that has been denied in the literature um, to the effect that we don't really have such a phenomenal sense at all. We believe that we do, but this belief is something like a cognitive illusion. We don't really have anything like that. I call people denying T1 deflationists about the sense of flow. I'm a non-deflationist. Of course, the straightforward thing to do is to start by trying to make sense that we really have such a phenomenal sense of flow. Um, the second thesis is the thesis that the sense of replacement in our perceptual experiences as of qualitative change is grounded in representational properties of these experiences. This is an instance of the general or general thesis of representationalism about phenomenal properties of experience. And the general thesis of representationalism is that all phenomenal properties of, of our experiences, so all properties or aspects concerning what it feels like for a subject to have such an experience, all of that is grounded, at least in part, in properties or aspects of the content of these experiences, so representational properties of these experiences. Again, I take this to be a default claim, and here it is applied to the sense of replacement. So we're looking for an account of the sense of replacement in terms of representational properties. Okay? Uh, this also has been denied by non-representationalists who claim, say, who non-deflationists non say there is really a phenomenal sense of replacement, but it, we shouldn't try to explain it in terms of properties of the content of these experiences. I'm going to look for representational properties to explain it. Given that I'm assuming that uh, the sense of flow is 
grounded, this in part, in representational properties, the question arises, yeah, what, what kind of representational properties? And this is what the third thesis is about. It's a thesis that the sense of replacement in our perceptual experiences as of qualitative change is grounded in the representation of replacement in the contents of these experiences. It's a straightforward thesis. The sense of replacement, this is a phenomenal aspect, is to be explained as the representation of replacement in the content of experience. This also is controversial. I call this a single domain representationalist account because well, it explains the sense of replacement in terms of the notion of replacement in the content of experience. Um, dual domain accounts, as I call them, try to explain the sense of replacement also in terms of aspects of the content of experience, but the content doesn't um, represent replacements. It doesn't represent, say, anything about the present at all. It has, an, it has another domain, has another topic, but from that arises the sense of flow, or the sense of replacement. I'm not convinced I think we should take the direct way and try to find an account in terms of um, replacement in the content. It's not about the changing present in the content. Okay, so T1, T2, and T3 specify the kind of account I want to give non-deflationist, representationalist, single domain. That's the idea, okay? Now, um, the task for someone who wants to give this type of account is to tell us how replacement, so changing present, is represented in perceptual experience specifically in our example and the visual experience of the changing. How that works is the task, to say how that works. And um, before I even get to begin to construct such an account, I want to raise an objection, an objection that will need to be addressed. Now, I call this objection the objection from non-presence. And here, in a nutshell, is the, is the worry. For any account, characterized by these theses. It's this. If the sense of flow is the sense that an episode of change undergoes, itself undergoes a change with respect to which state is in the present, if that is explained in terms of representational properties, it seems that um, our experiences of change have to represent, let's look at our example, these leaf states, the leaves L1 state and the leaf L, leaves L2 state, is going into and out of the present. Right? First, the leaves L1 state is in the present, then it leaves the present, it's not in the present anymore, and the leaves L2 state is now in the present, and the L1 state is not in the present anymore. But if we can see that, really, literally, literally, see that the leaf states, the location leaf states, go in and out of the present, it seems that we are we're required to be able to see that a leaf is leaf that is non-present. But it has been pointed out numerous occasions, very hard to understand how it should be possible for us to see or experience that an object state fails to be in the present. It's much more plausible to think that if any object states, any leaf state 
um, is experienced, and if it's experienced as being in the present, then all leaf states and all object states are experienced as being in the present, failing to be in the present. It's not something we can experience. But prima facie, it looks as if the sense of replacement understood representationally requires us to do that. That's the objection from non-presence. So with that, um, on the table, my task will be to develop an account, a single domain representationalist account, in such a way that it avoids the objection from non-presence. That's what I will do. The first two steps are finished, and now we're looking at step three and four. I will begin by trying to make sense of the representation of the present in perceptual experience. How do we get the present into the content of perceptual experience? That will be the first step. And then the last, fourth and last step will be to develop an account on the basis of the visual experience of the present of an account the visual experience of the present as changing. First of all, the synchronic perceptual representation of the present. So, so to make sense of this, I will make uh, three principal assumptions. Basically, these are the three building blocks of the account of the synchronic perceptual representation of the present. All with, only with respect to this example, to keep things simple. Here's... Um, perceptual experience of a subject and a synchronic or simultaneous perceptual experience of the same subject, call it P1 and P2. So the subject has simultaneous perceptual experiences. The first principal assumption I want to make, so the first building block of my account, is that when that happens, then there is a composite a complex perceptual experience that has P1 and P2 as parts. This is a complex perceptual experience of the same subject that has P1 and P2 as parts. And the phenomenal character of the complex experience subsumes P1 and P2. Now when <coughs> um, we look at all perceptual experiences of a subject at a given time, all of them, right? Suppose that in our case here, P1 and P2 are really all, they're all uh, the perceptual experiences of the same subject at a given time. Then there is also a um, complex perceptual experience that has all of these perceptual experiences as parts. In the background, I'm assuming that there is a cooperation of synchronic perceptual composition, synchronic experiential composition in the background. So whenever a subject has any perceptual experiences at a moment, the subject also has a complex experience that has these as parts. And when they're all the experiences, I will speak of the complex experience as the subject's synchronic perceptual field. Right, so this is a perceptual field. This is a term a number of authors, including Dave Chalmers and Tim Bain, have used. Um, and um, this is the first building block. The existence claim that for any moment a subject 
um, that has any experiences has such a perceptual field, synchronic perceptual field. So it's the first building block. The second building block concerns the content of a synchronic perceptual field of a subject. Um, here's a very simple example of one. So what's the content of that? On the left, um, I have, on the left of the slide, I have um, aspects of the perceptual content of the subject at that moment. Suppose that the content of P1 is that the leaf, this is our leaf, um, is located L, at, in location L1, so the L1 state of the leaf, I will say, and this is a visual experience, and there's also an auditory experience, this is a sound wave here. Um, say this is a, the sound of, of a bird in location L2, so this is a chirp that occurs in L2. So the content of P1 is the leaf's L1 state, and the content of P2 is the sound, the chirp, occurring at L2. So, so much is relatively uncontroversial, but now the second principal assumption concerns the content of the whole synchronic perceptual field. And just, and here's the, here's the idea, just as the perceptual experiences in the perceptual field are unified by simultaneity, so the um, states represented in the content of these perceptual experiences are also unified by simultaneity or subjective simultaneity or perceived synchrony as it's called in psychology. So just as uh, simultaneity is a unifier, not the only one, but a unifier of the token perceptual experiences, so it is a unifier of the content of the perceptual field. This is my second building block. And here is now my, my third building block to get, um, get us into the position to give an account of how the present is represented in a momentary experience. The third building block, the third principle assumption is the most controversial one here. And it is an assumption concerning the content of a synchronic perceptual field again. Notice that the way the synchronic perceptual field was introduced, it has another aspect in addition to having parts that are unified by simultaneity. And this is the aspect of, of being a total field, a total state. Right? Because, uh, in the synchronic perceptual field, um, we find all the perceptual experiences of the subject at any moment. Right? It's a total field. Now the assumption now that I want to make is that this totality aspect is also represented in the perceptual content of the synchronic perceptual field. So the, the synchronic perceptual field doesn't just represent that the leaf is located in L1 while, this is the marker for synchrony or simultaneity, while the chirp occurs in L2. Um, I want to say that the synchronic perceptual field represents the following fact, namely the fact that the leaf is located in L1 while the chirp occurs in L2, and that's it. So I'm using a that's it operator here. This is called a restrictive totality operator. And what it marks is essentially that in the perceptual content, um, what is represented is not just the states and their being simultaneous, but also 
the states being all the states, intuitively speaking, all the states that occur. So the leaves in L1, while the chirp occurs in L2, while no other state obtains. So this is, intuitively speaking, the boundary of this, the perceived world, right? the boundary of the states. And I will call this a field of simultaneity. What is represented in addition to the states in simultaneity? Uh, the, uh, the, to the total state of simultaneity, having all these states as parts, I call a field of simultaneity, or for short, a symphield. So these are the three building blocks, and now I want to suggest that the present in the content of a momentary visual experience is just the symphield, or a symphield, a field of simultaneity. So, um, to say that our subject has a visual experience of the leaf cell one state as being in the present, comes down to this. The subject has a visual uh, synchronic perceptual field with a, con with a f following content, namely that the following state obtains, that the leaf is in L1 while the chirp occurs in L2. And that's it. The present is the sim field in the content of a subject's perceptual field. So that uh, these are the bare bones of, of my account of how the present makes it into the content visual experience. But we want to know how replacement, this is how I phenomenologically analyzed flow or passage, how replacement makes it into the content of visual experience. Of course, this synchronic perceptual field is a momentary state, so we have to bring diachronic perceptual states into the picture. And that brings me to the fourth and last and most important step in the construction, the diachronic perceptual representation of replacement. I had three building blocks for the account of the synchronic representation. I have three more for the diachronic, and then the whole thing is put together, and we'll see how the objection um, that I mentioned earlier will be answered and then I'll draw a consequence. So that's the plan for the rest of the talk. Here we have two synchronic perceptual fields, all of the same subject. So I will not uh, emphasize this in, in all steps, it's always the same subject. So here is um, a synchronic perceptual field of the subject at one moment. Here is a synchronic perceptual field of the same subject at a later moment, and this is, this is simultaneity, and this is temporal priority, so this is the earlier than relation. Right? Holding between these perceptual fields, and it's important that we're assuming that this is less than a second later than this one, because we want to assume that all of this happens in the scope of the subject's subjective temporal horizon, which is about a second long year. Okay, so this is this is our starting point. We, we looked at these individually already, but now we have to extend the picture to cover diachronic experiences. And I will assume that when a subject has such perceptual fields at different moments in the scope of subjective temporal horizon, the subject also has a diachronic 
experience that has these synchronic perceptual fields as temporal parts. Right? So there's a diachronic, a temporally extended experience that has these momentary experiences as temporal parts. This is not the only way to frame my, my model, but it's the most elegant way. We can talk about this in discussion. If you like, not everyone, that's an understatement, agrees that there can be diachronic experiences with temporal parts. But I will assume that here because it looks nicer. Uh, okay, so there is an, not only an operation of synchronic experiential composition, there's also an operation of diachronic experiential composition. This is the synchronic one that turns these perceptual experiences into a synchronic field. The diachronic one turns perceptual fields at a moment into um, a diachronic perceptual experience. And I will say that when all the perceptual fields of a subject, all of them within the, a subject's subjective temporal horizon are concerned, then the complex diachronic experience is a diachronic perceptual field. So this is a total perceptual field of a subject at a moment, and this is a total perceptual field in the subjective temporal horizon. So there's a synchronic field and a diachronic field. Notice, and this is important, that these, these composition operations in the realm of experience are ordered hierarchically. So first of all, well, our cognitive system first sums a subject's perceptual experiences that are simultaneous or synchronous. And these, then, are the input for the diachronic composition. Right? So the diachronic composition does not act, as it were, directly on the individual perceptual experiences. The diachronic composition uh, operates on perceptual fields. Okay, This is the first building block of the diachronic experience I want to talk about. The second one, as um, earlier, concerns the content of diachronic perceptual fields, such as this one. And here uh, we start with the contents of these individual synchronic perceptual fields, first of all. So it's getting a little more mildly more complicated. First of all, we have the content we had before. So the synchronic perceptual field we had before has the content that um, the field of simultaneity obtains um, that contains the leaves L1 state and the chirp occurring in L2. And then slightly later, the, the same subject has a slightly different perceptual field. And here, uh, the content is that the leaf is in L2, while a B is in L1, with slight variation. But now, um, these are, these are just the contents of these individual synchronic fields. How do they get unified in the case of a diachronic perceptual field? How do they get unified? And the assumption now, this is the second building block here, is that just as the synchronic perceptual fields are partly at least unified by temporal priority, by the early event relation, right? So are the perceptual contents of the synchronic perceptual field partly unified by the temporal priority relation um, to form a, a unified content of a diachronic 
perceptual field. So the diachronic perceptual field, as we have it at the moment, well, this particular example represents that a sim field contains a leaf in L1 and the chirp in L2, and that sim field occurs before a sim field that contains the B in L1 and the leaf in L2. So that's the second building block. Uh, the second principle assumption, it says that the relation of temporal priority that unifies the diachronic perceptual field is also present as a unifier in the perceptual content. So now on to the last building block, which is essentially nothing but a simplification of this perceptual content. I said what is represented is that a field of simultaneity contains this before a field of simultaneity contains this. But I want to refine this a little bit by saying that what is represented is not one field of simultaneity and then another one, but this one and this one, so this frame and this one, being the same. This being a unique, one unique field of simultaneity to the effect that what is represented by the diachronic perceptual field is that the unique sim field, field of simultaneity, is such that it first contains the leaf in L1 and the chirp in L2, but then contains the, the B in L1 and the leaf in L2. Okay, so these are the building blocks for my account of how replacement or change in the present is represented in perceptual experience. And let me state this account now, because I've got it all in place. Earlier I said that the present is represented in a momentary perceptual experience <coughs> in the form of the field of simultaneity, or the same field. So the whole thing, the totality, if you like, into which all perceived states are embedded. The diachronic perceptual field we get by um, virtue of the diachronic operation of experiential composition represents the synth field as changing from having this content to having this, or having these components <laughs> to having these components. Since the synth field just is the present, what is represented by the diachronic perceptual field is that the present is changing from this configuration to this configuration. The present is changing with respect to which leaf state, the leaf state up here or leaf state down here, it has as a component. At this moment, the leaf's L1 state is represented as the only leaf state in the field of simultaneity. And shortly after, the leaf's L2 state, which is incompatible with the leaf's L1 state, is represented as the only leaf state in the field of 1780. That's how the changing present is represented in visual experience, according to this model. So that's the picture. I have a little time left, um, which I will use, first of all, to answer the objection I raised earlier, the objection from non-presence. Here's the objection again. If the sense of flow is a sense of replacement. And the sense of replacement is the sense that 
our leaf state, incompatible leaf states in this episode of change are themselves changing with respect to which one is present, well, if that is so, then it seems that a subject can experience, can, in our case, visually experience, that a leaf state, say the leaf cell one state, leaves the present and becomes non-present as the leaf cell two state becomes present, which was earlier non-present. So it seems that um, the claim, or the model commits us to the claim that we can see that <coughs> states fail to be present. That is highly implausible. This model avoids this objection <coughs> in the following way. <coughs> the objection makes an assumption about how to understand replacement. And this model construes replacement in an alternative way. Replacement is a kind of change. It's not an intrinsic change in the leaf or in a leaf state even. It's kind of a global change with respect to leaf states and the property of being in the present. It's the stage of canvas in which all intrinsic qualitative change happens. And the assumption that leaves or the construal of replacement that, that leads to the objection is that what persists through the change with respect to being in the present are our leaf states. If I can see that this change with respect to being in the present happening, it seems that I have to see that, I have to be able to see that a leaf state goes out of the present as a new state goes in. <laughs> but this is not um, obligatory because we can understand replacement another way, namely, by holding that it's not the leaf states that change, that are the subjects of change with respect to the present, but rather that the present is what's changing. The present is the subject of change. The present is what is changing with respect to first containing as a component the leaf's L1 state and then the leaf's L2 state. If that is required, uh, this, that is required by a subject in order to experience replacement, then the subject is not required to experience a leaf state as failing to be in the present. Every leaf state is in the present. But that's okay because what replacement and the flow of time and experience consists in is an experience of the present, understood as the field of simultaneity and experience, is changing with respect to which components. So, this is how I propose to handle this objection. Do I have two more minutes? You, you, yeah, you, you I take, don't want to go over time. No, no, you, you take five, ten minutes if you want. Okay, to because I, want, I just want to draw one more uh, conclusion from this picture. Maybe you've wondered why I haven't spoken at all about the world which is represented in perceptual experience. And the flow of time or the passage of time in the world in relation to the flow of time in experience. 
been quite disciplined in this way because this is where I'm coming from. It's very important that here, um, my, my main aim was to give an account of a phenomenal aspect in, in representational terms. But having done so, it's time to have a brief look at how that relates to the question of whether our sense of flow is veridical or illusory. And it's quite clear that on this model, our sense of flow is massively illusory. The sense of flow is explained in terms of representational properties, aspects, the content of experience, namely the sim field and its components. And it's, it's quite obvious that the sim field being a totality aspect of, of the content of experience cannot be a correct representation of the world. Because what the subject represents here in her experience is that in our simple case, the leaves being in L1 and the chirps being in L2 as being all, really, all the states that ha are happening or obtaining simultaneously. But no subject can correctly represent all the states in the world that are happening simultaneously. So, uh, simultaneously. Um, so, <coughs> this content cannot be correct. Now, it will not come as a big surprise that this aspect of experience is massively illusory. Um, a lot of philosophers of time have drawn this conclusion. However, there are different paths to this conclusion. And the standard way to reach that conclusion is to say, well, if the sense of flow or passage represents the flow of time and which is widely assumed there really isn't an objective, real flow of time, then of course, well, our sense of flow has to be illusory. This is a partly metaphysical uh, argument towards this conclusion. But here, I'm not coming to this conclusion on the basis of any metaphysical considerations. The reason why this is illusory is that the sim field is represented in the content and does major work, and the sim field um, always misrepresents the world. It's a claim about everything that happens at a moment, if you will, and the subject can never experience everything that happens at a moment. So um, whether there really is flow of time in the world or not, the sense of flow has to be illusory on this account. 